Sequoia's official podcast, where we kick ass. Hey, what's up, Sequoia? I'm Sean, your K19 podcast host for the day, and with me is my co-host, Jamie Lynn. How's it going, Jamie Lynn? I'm doing great, thanks. Now, this is my first podcast, so... I'm obviously a little bit nervous, but I'm also very extremely excited at the same time. Now, with us, we have a special guest host, or a special guest, I apologize, a special guest, Dr. Heather Chamberlain, our district's mental health coordinator, who is here to talk about an, an important topic, social and emotional learning. Dr. Chamberlain, thank you very much for being on our podcast. Thank you. Hi, Sean and Jamie Lynn. Jamie Lynn, this is my first podcast, too. I'm so happy to be here and talk to the Sequoia students about this very important topic. Dr. Chamberlain, can you please share with us a little bit about your role, you pl- the role you play in the CVUSD as our mental health coordinator? Yes. My job is to bring extra supports into schools for students who might be struggling with things like changes in their family, worrying a lot, or anxiety, feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Most kids struggle with these feelings sometimes, and we want to make sure that when they do, they have people on campus, like their counselors, who can help them. Wow, it sounds like it's a very important job, and it seems essential, too. Would you please talk to us about what social and emotional learning is? Social-emotional learning is teaching students how to recognize their feelings and how these feelings can help or interfere with learning and making healthy choices. It helps students learn how to manage or cope with uncomfortable feelings in positive ways. Social-emotional learning teaches students how to take care of themselves and how to help others who might be struggling with their emotions. This sets the stage for being able to establish healthy relationships where it is safe to talk about things that worry or bother students. Some of our teachers, counselors, and administrators attend a recent, attended a recent social and emotional learning training at the Ventura, Ventura County Office of Education. They learned that social and emotional learning increases positive behavior, standardized test scores, and certain important skills. Are there any other positives associated with SEL? Yes. Social-emotional learning helps create a positive learning environment. When students know how to manage and talk openly about their feelings, they don't feel alone anymore or like they're the only one who struggles. We all struggle with uncomfortable feelings sometimes, and we need to be able to express those feelings so we can move forward. When students feel sad, angry, or worried, and they keep it to themselves, it's as if they're carrying around a backpack of stuff that just keeps getting heavier and heavier. Social-emotional learning helps students unpack some of this stuff so they can stay emotionally balanced. Then they are able to make healthy decisions which affect motivation at school and relationships with their friends and family. We saw a pie chart that shows SEL is designed to to help students become more aware of their thoughts and feelings, manage their emotions, communicate more effectively, resolve conflicts, and make better choices. Would you say this is an accurate way to describe how SEL can help students? Yes. Sometimes our thoughts and feelings get in the way of solving problems in a healthy or respectful way. It is difficult for many people to resolve conflicts. Many of us want to avoid it, and we end up holding it in our emotions or taking them out on the wrong people. 
If we've never been taught how to manage our emotions, we can make decisions we will regret. Social-emotional learning gives students a game plan so that when they find themselves in situations that are emotionally difficult, they can take control of the emotion instead of letting the emotion take control of them. Thanks. What is our district doing to support teachers and students with SEL? We are doing many things. For teachers, we are providing training and are piloting different curricula. For our TK teachers, we piloted a new SEL program. TK is, um, is our pre-kindergarten group, in case you didn't know. And this program focuses on community building and communication. And they are so happy with the results that they are recommending it for kindergarten through second grade next year. All of our fifth graders participate in Stand Proud, which you probably know, um, which is a program that teaches the importance of teamwork and leadership. And all it takes is a program that will be um, implemented in middle schoolers that teaches students empathy, compassion, and responsibility. This year, Sequoia started a program called Crew, which focuses on compassion, responsibility, empowerment, and our well-being. We do other activities to promote team building and connections with one another, mindful moments, and activities that center around the characteristics of students. What are your thoughts on how this supports SEL? Crew is SEL. A simple way to think of SEL is learning how to take care of your emotions and to respect and support those around you when they are struggling with their emotions. It is learning to become a good, grounded, empathic, and caring person. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing students in today's society? That is a very difficult question to answer because I think there is more than one thing. If I had to choose one, it would be that many students today do not believe they have a purpose. Many students I work with compare themselves to other people and then they judge themselves for not being smart enough, cool enough, or athletic enough. The list just goes on and on. They spend way too much time trying to be like everyone else and not enough time using their talents and gifts to help others. So if the only thing students hear from this today, I will say my work here is done. Use your gifts and talents to help others and you will find your purpose. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. And of course, before we make, before we make our closing remarks, do we have any comments or questions from our studio, studio audience? Hi, my name is Dominic, and I don't have a question, but I do have a comment. I personally like the, um, the idea of this social and emotional learning because I think uh, kids now um, are not really able to sort of talk about their emotions or really show um, what they're going through. And I like the idea of gradually um, helping the student overcome those difficulties and making them learn for themselves and not really putting the weight on somebody else or letting the emotion uh, take them. I think that's very valuable information for me to hear from students because I agree. And I think sometimes people assume students know what to do with all that they're going through when yeah, really it's something we all need to learn. Yeah, it changes them into a, a different person. It does. That's great. Anybody else? Come on, guys. Hi, my name is Jack, and um, I have a question. So you said that you were piloting some pre-K courses, and that's going to be recommended for K through second grade, but um, 
what are you, what are you going to do for uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers? Because I think that's really, you know, of course, pre-K and K through second grade is really when you when you learn how to deal with this sort of thing. But what about kids that are already having these problems at that age group? Is there are there programs that can help deal with that stress or learn how to talk about it? That's a great question. So the way I look at my job is SEL is really how we prevent mental health issues from happening in the future. So what you will see is we're investing a lot early on in SEL, right? On our middle school campuses, we are doing All It Takes, which is going to be a new program that um, happens through um, your PE courses. But what we also do in mental health is we provide extra supports to your counselors. Um, we have students who are getting their degrees, their master's degrees in marriage and family counseling or in social work that have to do a year's worth of work. And so they come and they um, work with students here to help support counselors because sometimes counselors just don't have the time it takes to really work through some of these problems with kids. We, we do that on our high school and our middle school campuses right now. So you may see, um, I believe the person's name is Casey. You may see someone running around here who um, in the counseling office who is there um, to support students, give them extra help if they need it. We also, through our special education, have served um, more than 500 students this year just in social-emotional issues. So that happens when kids are really struggling and their emotional issues are getting in the way of their learning. If someone is having problems, how, how do we approach our school counselors and, and, and talk about that? Okay. Um, it is everyone's job on campus, everyone who works in schools, it is their job to support students, especially when students are struggling, right? You need to find your trusted person Sometimes you might not feel you have that good connection with your counselor, but you might think, for example, with Mrs. Stevenson, you have that connection, right? Sometimes I hear on school campuses staff say, well, I'm not a mental health professional. You don't need to be a mental health professional to provide supports to students, right? You just need to be somebody who's willing to listen and to try to connect people to to some where they need to go, right? So if a kid comes to me and they're just really, really struggling with depression, I may need to have a conversation connecting that student and their parent to other services. And it's hard sometimes. I know it's hard to just go and, and reach out to a teacher or it's hard to reach, if your counselor's not available or you're not feeling comfortable, then I always encourage kids, find your trusted adult. and. The trusted adult for you, Jamie Lynn, might be different than it is for Sean, right? It, sometimes it's a personality or a fit thing, um, but I really encourage you guys to, to continue to try to find those people on campus. And if you can't, that's when maybe you go to your counselor and you say, I'm really struggling to find a trusted adult here. I mean, I think that would be a pretty powerful statement coming from a kid if I was sitting in a counseling office. So just wondering, how does, how does one go to a counselor? Like, does, does, one, does it just 
did they just walk into the counseling office and say, I want to talk to Mrs. Metter, I want to talk to Mrs. Martins, is there an appointment or something? Because I know some students are really proactive about this stuff and some mm -hmm. students really aren't. And I don't think I've ever been trained or told how to do this. I mean, this is completely new to me in my opinion. Well, that varies. Staff. That varies from site to site. So there would there's different protocols from site to site. Um, but if you're really struggling, Teachers can always help you make those connections. Um, office staff can help you make those connections. Your campus supervisors can help you make those connections. So if you're really struggling, don't just let it continue to weigh you down, right? And, and sometimes it might be that you only get a few minutes with your counselor, but then you're on your counselor's radar, right? Right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, we have another question here. Hi, my name's Cami. Can you tell us a little more about the middle school program through physical education? All I can tell you at this point is that um, we have been given some grant monies to train your PE teachers in social emotional learning. And it is sort of like the follow-up step to Stand Proud. Did you guys do Stand Proud? Yeah. Okay, so for those of you who did Stand Proud, it would be like improving the skills you learned there in your PE program. Dr. Chamberlain. Yes. This has been a very informative podcast. And give some more info for all of our listeners on how important social and emotional learning is. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or share with our audience? Um, I just want to remind the audience that... Um, it is really normal to struggle sometimes. It's really normal to worry sometimes. It doesn't mean you have some sort of disorder, but I really wanna encourage students to reach out to their safe people, right? And sometimes that may be a friend who then helps connect you to somebody else. Sometimes it may be a teacher, sometimes a counselor, but I really wanna encourage you to not just hang on to all of that information. And then the one thing I wanna rem remind you is that um, when you take care of yourself and when you behave as yourself and when you're true to yourself and you use your gifts and talents to take care of yourself, then it puts you in a position to be able to take care of others. Dr. Chamberlain, we would like to thank you very much for joining us today on our podcast. This is Sean and Jamie Lynn for KA19 signing off. See you next week.
in their neighborhood, school, church, whatever it is, how, how would you recommend you do that? How, what's a good starting point? Yeah, so there's a website called naturalhigh.org, and these folks are based out of La Jolla, California, and um, on the site they've got a link there that says start a natural high club. They uh, give you some easy steps how to walk through it. Me personally, I found that the best thing to do was to just have an interest meeting. I put a flyer out there um, with a picture of Calvin and Hobbes on it, and that was the name of the group, ultimately, Calvin and Hobbes. And the people who came together for the interest group, um, they really were the ones who decided that the group should be about social events on the weekends, because that's what was lacking on our campus. And from there, once we had the energy of that core group of people, there's only about seven of them, um, it kind of took on a life of its own. You know, you pursued the avenue on campus to find out uh, how to become a, a student group, right? You have to write a constitution, and you have to, you know, state who your members are and your mission statement and everything else. And then you get a budget. You've got to present a budget. And then we got some money for the group. So on our campus, it was a very specific path. But for other students, it's different, right? They're in middle schools. They're in high schools. You have to go to, to adults to get approval, to have an advisor. Um, so I would say that that naturalhigh.org website is, is a good sort of template to follow. And people can feel free to email me if they want through my website, which is just mattbellis.com. I love helping students start groups like this. So nice. don't hesitate to reach out. No, that sounds great, and I, ho- I hope we get a few going. So um, I think a lot of people may think that these natural highs that we've been talking about this whole time can't even come close to a high from drugs or other substances. Do you have any scientific facts or data that can prove this theory wrong and say, yes, this is just as good as a drug or anything? Well, in, in the book, I make the point, the title of the book is A Better High, so it assumes in that title, that natural highs are a better high. They're, what they're not is a more intense high. So certainly, if you read accounts of people who've used heroin and methamphetamines and cocaine, I mean, you're convinced that these drugs force the brain into a state of extreme high and euphoria. And I don't doubt that. I don't need to go try heroin to appreciate the fact that it's probably the most euphoric feeling the brain can feel. But what happens over time with any drug um, is that the brain does something called homeostasis. Uh, The body does this too. But like the brain is always looking for what that set point was. So if you force the brain into a high state with a chemical, it tries to counteract that by reducing the number of receptors available to receive the chemicals. It's toxic for the brain. So Unfortunately, people who use drugs for a long period of time start to get this gray, dull feeling when they're not using drugs, right? So they use drugs eventually just to cope with not using drugs. Right. And that's, that's really the state of being addicted. Now, a natural high doesn't behave that way. Your brain has had a balanced natural high. And I'll argue that a natural high might not be more intense than a chemical high, but it certainly is more complex, more rich. Um, something often you can be proud of, a story you can tell other people, and an accomplishment in many cases. And so the complexity of a natural high, like helping another human being, you know, or studying really hard and getting an A in a class or getting accepted into college or 
falling in love. You know, these no drug on the planet can replicate the richness and complexity of, of a tremendous natural high. And when you interview addicts, people who've used for decades, they don't look very happy, first of all. <laughs> so the drug is not making them happy. Eventually, it's all about just seeking the drug out. Even using the drug doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. It's all about the cravings, and they seek out the drug just to kind of deal with the cravings and to not get sick when, when it's really extreme. Um, you talk to someone who's been a runner, let's say, for 30 years. My wife is coming up on that. Wow. She's been running since she was in high school. and she still loves running. <laughs> and she goes out, she's going to run a marathon at the end of the month. It's her first one. And she's experiencing for the first time the high of, of a marathon because she was always someone who ran, you know, half marathons and 10Ks and things like that. But she doesn't have this effect of like, oh, I feel terrible the rest of my day. I can't function. No. To her, running is empowering. It makes her, helps her focus. It lifts her mood. Um, she still talks about that high in glowing terms. She has so many friends that have come out of that experience uh, that have enriched her life. Um, there's nothing to hide. There's no shame involved there, right? So um, it's interesting just to see the difference in the chemical high versus the natural high. And I'll always say, look, if the chemical high is going to be more intense, certainly the first time you do it. But the natural high is, is more complex and satisfying. And it's just better for you, right? I mean, running is, you know, it's helping you lose weight. It's doing all this stuff. You're outdoors. And, I mean, it's just it's just overall better for your body and better for your brain. It's just overall good. <laughs> it is. You know, you can overdo anything. I will say that. You can run too much, right? You can eat too much. Like, there's things you can do in terms of natural highs. That one of the chapters is unhealthy natural highs. But if you do them as part of a balanced lifestyle, they're going to be good for you now and for the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I mean, Miss Dr. Bellis, this has been such a great podcast. I'm, I'm super stoked that we got to talk to you and spread your message all over our district. If you want to get in touch well, with Matt. Thanks for doing it, Jack. Yeah, no problem. I mean, if you want to get in touch with Matt or just keep up with his endeavors, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Matt Bellis with an E and check out his website, MattBellis.com, as he mentioned him to, as he mentioned before, to contact him. Uh, Matt, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners before we wrap up today? Um, yeah, I, I guess just, uh, you know, every day look as an opportunity to find, you know, your, your natural high and, and be in the moment, right. And enjoy those things that, uh, that lift our mood, pay attention to them, right. That even the little things that as spring has sprung here in New Jersey, anyway, uh, there's so much around us that can make us smile. And, uh, after months of the winter, we definitely, uh, you know, should embrace them. Definitely. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on today, and you are always welcome back for any podcast later. And I just wanted to say before you head out that I have been working on practicing my own natural highs were more. I've been meditating before bed, laughing more, getting up early, and it has definitely made me feel more happy, entertained, and less stressed. So, people, this is not witchcraft, hippie practices, or anything in between. This is science, and it works great. Anyways, this has been Jackie B talking with Matt Bellis on KA19, and we'll see you next week, Sequoia.